Welcome to the Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news and evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First of all, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Business Centers, and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Dave Murray. Dave and I are doing a series of podcasts on tax-exempt trusts, otherwise known sometimes charitable remainder trusts. In our first episode, we talked about the general concept of what a tax-exempt trust under Internal Revenue Code Section 664 is all about. In our second episode, we talked about using this type of trust for real estate investors as an alternative to a 1031 exchange. On today's episode, we're going to focus on another possible use of this type of trust, which is selling a concentrated position using a stock diversification trust. Dave is Vice President of Sterling Foundation Management, LLC, which is based in Reston, Virginia. Sterling manages family-initiated charitable entities, such as private foundations, operating foundations, public charities, supporting organizations, and operates a donor-advised fund in addition to providing philanthropic advisory services. 
Sterling also provides secondary planning services for existing split-interest charitable trusts, including charitable remainder trusts, charitable lead trusts, and offers tax-exempt trust planning services for clients with appreciated real estate, concentrated positions, and business interests. Dave has over two decades of experience in charitable planning and works extensively with trust and estate attorneys, accountants, and financial advisors. His bachelor and graduate degrees in engineering and an MBA. He is married with two children. So Dave, welcome and thanks for joining me again today. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So today's topic is selling appreciated assets using tax-exempt trusts under Internal Revenue Service Section 664, and you use the term, and I like this a lot, stock diversification trust. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is and when it makes sense? Absolutely. So a stock diversification trust is really suited to any individual who has a single investment that comprises, I would say, 5% or more of their net worth. It's in a taxable account, and they want to sell this position. This could be a very, very good option for them. So what is what is a concentrated position is, is, is something I quite often are asked and asked. In the context of investing, a concentrated position refers to a situation where an investor holds just a really significant portion of their investment portfolio in a single asset. It could be a single stock, a bond, or other financial instrument. So, I, I for example, I just... Higher than 5%, depending on the percentage. Sorry? I, say, I just have to throw this example in because being from Omaha, Nebraska, we have a lot of what we call original investors in Berkshire Hathaway who put up $1,000 and got share A. And it's not uncommon. And I just say that's a good example. Somebody owns... That's a great example. And so they're at a point where they've owned this Berkshire Hathaway A, and maybe they're looking at doing something different. Okay, so so Mary, what you're asking, what is a stock diversification trust? It's a specially designed trust that we've named to help clients who wish to sell or diversify away from the concentrated position. So quite simply, um, and we, we talked about these in more detail in the first podcast in the series, but I just want to provide a summary here. It's a trust established for the purpose of deferring capital gains tax on the sale of this position. So the idea behind this trust is that it could be funded with a concentrated position. The trust can sell the asset and defer capital gains tax on the sale. So I put my Berkshire Hathaway shares into one of these trusts and the trust sells it. And because the trust is tax exempt, there's, I have no immediate recognition of income tax. That is correct. You have no immediate recognition recognition of income tax when the, when the Berkshire shares are sold. Moreover, you have the opportunity to take income from this trust, not the requirements to take income, but the option to take income into the future. And then when you and your spouse are no longer living, your children and grandchildren will have that same option to take income from the trust, if that is, is what you would like to see happen. So is there any tax deduction when I put this Berkshire Hathaway stock into my stock diversification trust? Yes, that's a great question. So when the Berkshire shares are gifted to the stock diversification trust and the trust sells the assets, you do receive a tax deduction for the present value of the future met expected to go to charity. So let's say, for example, Mary, you have 
let's say you have a couple shares of a couple A shares of Berkshire Hathaway. I don't know what Berkshire Hathaway is trading at today, but it's a lot of money. Um, let's just say, let's just say it's trading at, do you know what it's trading at today? I actually don't. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, let's I just know a lot of money probably is probably the right answer. Thousand a share or something like that. Let's say, let's more say than that. Is that about that? Let's say you give to concentrated position of like yeah. two shares, $600,000 to the trust. This trust sells those shares. You would receive a minimum tax deduction of 10% or $60,000. Okay. So I want to, I want to actually use an example. So this is a, this is a situation that um, her name's Tanya. Uh, and this is not Berkshire Hathaway. This is a tech company on the West coast actually. But Tanya worked for years for this tech company and she had accumulated a position of about $3 million of company shares. She didn't want to sell all of it, but she felt she was too highly concentrated in her company shares. And so she wanted to sell half of it. She's married with children. Um, so if she contributed half of the stock to a properly structured stock diversification trust and the trust sold the stock, it would recognize the entire 1.5 million. So it wouldn't be taxable because it's a tax exempt trust. The trust would know, owe no tax and so it would have $1.5 million to invest in a diversified portfolio of assets. This was important to Tanya, diversification. By creating and funding the trust, Tanya would receive a minimum income tax deduction of 10%, as I've noted, on the value of the, the stock being gifted to the trust. And she could be set up to receive 5% of the income from the trust for life. So for someone like Tanya, this was a really good way to diversify away from this concentrated position defer tax on the sale and set herself up for children, set her family up for receiving income from the trust well into the future. And now, also benefit ask, charity if that matters. Yeah. So this is an important thing. This is technically a technically a charitable remainder trust, but the way it's set up because we typically would add multiple generations to the trust, the final distribution to charity is going to get pushed out by many years. So in order to benefit from these trusts, the family doesn't have to, have be that charitable like you know in Tanya's case you know she she charity mattered but it wasn't like it was the thing she cared about the most it was her family that she really cared about and diversifying away diversifying away this asset or a portion of this asset so clients contemplating these types of trusts don't have to be charitable or the financial benefits the tax deferral the tax deduction all these other benefits come with having a trust can oftentimes outweigh any of the, the charitable components that come with it as well and I think that's an important point that we've discussed in our previous podcast, but I also do like to mention for the, the charitably inclined the, uh, who maybe doesn't have a lot of family members that they want to benefit post-death, but they want to really benefit charity and keep an income stream that works too, they might get a bigger deduction. Well, let's talk about the other options that an investor with a concentrated position, so you bring up the tech example, I've worked with some... Yeah clients with founder stocks, similar thing is what are the other things they look at? Well, there's a number of other options. And I think the first, first one they would look at uh, would be selling outright. But of course, if you sell a constituted position outright, you're going to pay a lot of tax up to 40% depending on what state you're in. So a lot of people don't want to do that. And they do look for other options. Um, selling over time is one that uh, a number of people have uh, utilized and this just refers to the gradual process of selling a, a position in a measured and controlled manner over a period of time rather than selling all the shares at once 
Um, there are other ways. There's exchange funds. There's option strategies like prepaid variable forward contracts, which are all very complicated, but they can work very well. I would encourage anyone looking at some of these more complex options to consult an expert. Um, each has pros and cons. It's like there's no single planning option that is, you know, um, that is uh, is not going to have pros and cons. So you have to sort of weigh the pros and the cons of each planning option before deciding. So let's say I'm the investor with Berkshire Hathaway, just because I'm somewhat familiar with that, and I have this non-existent basis, and one share of that is worth a significant amount of money. So mm-hmm. this selling over time is not going to work very well for me. That's right. And That's so right. I'm like, well, you know what? This start stock diversification trust sounds like a really great thing for me. Could they then use the same trust? Could I use this trust and sell, you know, put some Berkshire Hathaway in this year and then put some more in another year? That's a great question. Absolutely. So sometimes people think they need to move all of their position in and sell it at once, but they don't have to. You can move some in this year, have the trust sell it, move some of the position in next year, have the trust sell it. If the trust is drafted to properly, then that would be no problem to do that. You could move shares in over time and have, and sell the shares, uh, have the trust sell the shares over time, not a problem. So one of the key benefits of this stock diversification trust, so they, maybe we've, have, we've considered this selling over time. Why am I selling to the stock diversification trust? Well, it's really all about the tax deferral and the ability to collect income. So the question I would, it's really gonna depend on the client's unique planning circumstance, Mary. But the question I will always ask is, well, obviously tax deferral is important because that's what we hear the most, but I would ask questions around income. You know, what are your income, your income needs and the income needs of your family into the future? Because the stock diversification trust by definition is set up to provide the family with the upfront tax deduction when they make the gift and deferring tax on the sale of the concentrated position, but also to give the family members access to income for the life of the trust, which, as we've talked about in, in uh, previously, it can be as much as 50 or 60 years. So understanding the, the need for income, but also the ability to defer income. So these trusts come with the ability to take income or defer income. So I would say if someone needs or wants income and likes the ability to defer income, which is really a, a, a way to control or manage your taxable income. It's very important. Um, that I think those are really two very important planning attributes that these trusts will offer. You and I have touched on this in, in, in prior podcasts, but these tax-exempt trusts do have asset protection, which is very important. They are typically drafted with a spendthrift provision that will typically provide protect the assets within the trust from creditors. So this is another important planning consideration that one should consider. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. Financial advice is useless without empathy. At Foster Group, we want to hear your story, your goals, your worries about the future. Only then can we help you feel confident about all aspects of your financial life. Come experience how it feels to be truly cared for at Foster Group. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV 
discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. Are there any disadvantages to the Stock Diversification Trust? Well, it's a trust, and so it's it's an irrevocable instrument, and we've and 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 so once the trust is created and funded, you can't change the provisions of the trust, Mary. So if it's set up to to pay you five percent income and pay your, you know, when you die, your 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 spouse income, and then when when they die, your children income, that can't be changed. So the provisions of the trust are irrevocable, um, and also you lose access to principal. So when let's say you go back to your Berkshire. Uh, example. So let's you fund the trust with a couple shares of Berkshire and the trust diversifies away from Berkshire. Well, you no longer own that asset, but you own the right to collect the income from the trust over its remaining life. And so you lose access, access to principal as well. Um, yeah, I would say those are the two big uh, disadvantages of this type of trust. And I'm just going to reiterate one thing that I think is important on these is if I put my Berkshire Hathaway in, it should probably be with the intent that I am going to sell it because maybe that a lot of dividends don't get paid and I've got, don't have the ability to fund that income. So usually you're looking, I have this concentrated position. I want to sell it, but not pay all that tax and diversify into those other positions so that there is something to pay that income with. It's an excellent point. And Berkshire Hathaway, it turns out, as an example, does not pay a dividend. And so there's an example of a security that you would not want to gift one of these trusts with, with, uh, without planning uh, the expectation to sell. of, of selling it because there would be no means to generate income. So typically, in this, in the investments within, with one of these trusts, when it's diversified, it's a diversified portfolio that will generate income that can pay out the distribution requirements of the trust. Is there a timing issue? It's a very simple timing issue. You need to gift the concentrated position to the to this trust, Mary, before the before the position is sold. The trust has to actually sell the concentrated position in order for the investor to get the benefits, the tax deferral benefits of the trust. So do you have any illustrations that you'd like to share? Yeah, so there's some interesting ones. We, we see a lot of situations where clients have a, a, a concentrated positions. Um, Clint is a client who came to us recently. Um, he, what made this interesting was that, Mary, he wasn't v- wanting to diversify away from a concentrated position voluntarily. He was invested in a private equity fund that was uh, being unwound. And so his position was being liquidated out of his control. And it was about 10% of his total net worth. And so he was he's a California resident as well, it turns out. And so he was being um, forced to take all this taxable income that he didn't want. So, um, so we created a stock diversification trust for him. And he gifted this private equity position to this trust. And the really cool thing about this, I think the runoff period was going to be three to five years. So this private equity fund would be liquidated over a period of three to five years. Uh, so the, the private equity uh, fund is sitting inside this trust, it's being liquidated, but he, there's no tax ramifications to the client because it's a tax-exempt trust. The, the cash is just sitting in, in the trust, and as it comes into the trust, he's just reinvesting it. This trust was set up to, uh, to name this client and his spouse, and their two children and their four grandchildren um, as income beneficiaries. 
So the way this trust will work is that this client and his wife will receive income for their life and then their children for their life and then their grandchildren for a term of anywhere from 11 to 13 years, depending on the ages of the grandchildren. It's pretty cool. So this client was elated. Imagine having 10% of your net worth tied up in a, in a security that's being forced to be sold. And you live in a state like California and you're paying taxes at a crazy high rate of, I think it's like almost 40%. So he was pretty tickled to find this as a planning solution. So now is this a case where you've talked in a previous episode about putting the assets inside the trust in an LLC? Would you do that? Or is there another example where you might do that? Yeah, we typically always do that. And thank you for reminding me about that. We Yes. So the in order to have the ability to control the distributions from the trust, there needs to be some mechanism to control those distributions. And we typically would use this LLC. So we did use an LLC. The sole asset within these respective trusts um, was a 99% interest in an LLC. And the control, the controlling interest was outside of the trust. Um, it gets complicated. But yes, we did use an LLC f- to hold the concentrated position within the trust. And that's a common strategy for a lot of these irrevocable trusts that makes a lot of sense in general. And that's why I just kind of wanted to reiterate that here. I've seen cases where that just gets overlooked or not thought of. So we have a little bit of time left, and I really think your examples are great. Do you have another example you might want to share? Well, this is one I, I, I um, yeah, last week I was talking to an advisor, um, and, she, and she's in Georgia, and she has a client who's 90. And this client has a concentrated position of about $2.5 million of shares that she received from her parents. They've been around forever. They're almost zero basis. And this client has a daughter who's 68, one daughter who's 68, and then two grandchildren, 32 and 34, and then three great-grandchildren. We don't often get a chance to work with great-grandchildren in these planning scenarios. So it's kind of interesting for me to see the numbers. Um, so if she just sold this concentrated position, she would have had to pay about 20, well, 20% uh, federal capital gains tax and then 3.8% Obamacare tax and then 5.75% Georgia tax. So it's basically a 30% tax bill or $750,000. But by moving this position into this trust and having the trust sell it, she deferred all of that tax that would have been payable. And what's interesting about the income portion is that this client is able to receive income for her life. Her daughter is able to receive income for her life. Remember, the client is 90, the daughter is 68. We tried to get the grandchildren on for their lives, but because of their ages, they were too young. And so they were limited to a term of 20 years. Um, the great-grandchildren, we just, it was a decision made to not include them. We could have included them on the same term as the grandchildren, um, but it just got to be too complicated. So we, they, the client elected to not add the great-grandchildren, but wouldn't that have been cool if she had have incorporated the great-grandchildren onto this trust? Um, in any event, the expected duration of this trust is about 42 years overall. And the deduction this client received by creating and funding this trust is about 17% or $425,000. So she received a $425,000 deduction by by funding this asset with as effectively a zero basis, two and a half million dollar concentrated position and added all of these family members to the trust's income beneficiaries. And I think one so, of the things yeah. that's just worth mentioning, like you brought it up before using software because these calculations get really interesting, right? So it's 
you, you have this split interest. There's part that goes to charity. You have these lives and you can have these periods where you have these 20 years. But at the end of the day, you get all those numbers and figure out how does this benefit you overall? And the numbers are pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. You're right. We use software, Mary, and, um, you know, you enter the numbers, you enter the ages of the income beneficiaries into the software, and it tells you, you know, what the deduction will be and what the term of the trust can be. It's pretty neat. It's pretty powerful for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm really grateful for software because growing up, my father made us do present value calculations in our head before we could have dessert. So it's kind of nice. No, I wish I were kidding. But anyway, I just want to ask you, David, I really appreciate you working through this series with me on some complex. I love the way you guys are using different phrases to refer to these trusts. I think that's so helpful because I think otherwise the type of trust gets overlooked and it has huge benefits. But do you have any last thoughts for today's episode? I do. I, I just want to say anyone considering diversifying away from a concentrated position should evaluate all their options. Um, if, if, if an investor wishes to diversify away from all or a portion, it doesn't have to be the entire position, um, while giving themselves and their family members access to income well, well into the future, then it would be a good idea to consider a stock diversification trust. And, and I will say, Mary, that I'm happy to answer any questions anyone has uh, as a result of this podcast. My direct number is 703-997-4717. And my email address is david.murray, that's M-U-R-R-A-Y, at sterling-foundations, that's with an S, dot com. And I'm just going to mention that when we release the episode, we will actually include a transcript of the episode so people can read about this as well as listen to about it. And we'll include your contact information so that um, if anybody wants to reach out, that they can. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory, and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. The Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries podcast is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.